Okay, we all are now again. Another episode of the Irish and Sweden podcast. A listener-supported podcast. A community podcast. A podcast by me, for you, and for us all. How is all keeping? If you want to throw in a few bob, patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm. Or you can go to swish123 Please do. If you haven't done it before, make a habit of it. Make a habit of paying for a, a bit of content that brings you a little bit of joy every Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday when you're out for your walk or Sunday when you're on the way back from golf or whatever you're doing, Noel Scullion. Um, yeah, so get into the habit of doing things like that. Uh, it is t- coming towards the middle, the end of August in Sweden, of course, and uh, you're probably all back from your holidays by now, unless you're a chancellor like me that either take them at weird times or don't take them at all, you're probably all back from your holidays. I was actually reading um, a Swedish friend of mine the other day, school started again, and he uh, likened it to being released <laughs> as a hostage after spending a long time in captivity because he's been uh, with his kids all summer, and of course, you know, six or seven weeks of that, and having to make lunches for people and that kind of thing, you know, go, God, finally I'm free. I hope you don't feel like that. I hope you've had a lovely summer with your children or with your friends. You may have been drinking Aperol splits in Stanwegen or in downtown Lulio or in, in Karlstad, which is one of the places that we're going to visit on today's podcast there's a few bits and bobs that i probably need to tell you about which i'll get it the biggest of which is that on the morning this is released this will be released on a monday the following saturday boys and girls the 27th of august is for me one of the, the biggest and the best and the greatest days every year in stockholm and that is the nordic gaelic football championship coming to scalpnik the first ball goes up at 10 o'clock can be around about 100 players there'll be boys and there'll be girls there's a family day in conjunction with sophie murphy and the swedish irish society uh, there'll be a bit, a bit of face painting and a few snacks for the kids and that kind of thing but most of all there'll be a gathering of gales from all over the nordic region the lads from odin's in denmark are coming up i think there's four men's teams i don't know how many ladies teams there are now because uh, there's too many details in my head uh, the committee of the Stockholm Gales have been working like absolute Trojans to make sure that they put on a brilliant tournament which is safe and which is inclusive and which is all these things. Uh, so if you have any possibility at all, and even if you live within a couple of hours of Stockholm, right, if you're living in North or whatever, get in the car and come on up. We'd love to see you, right? It's just one of those days. It's a brilliant day to be there. It's a brilliant day to hang around. If you're out in the morning playing golf or if your son is playing rugby or whatever, that's grand. We'll be there until maybe three or four or five o'clock, right? So come along, keep an eye on social media, get involved, take part in it, because... It's one of those very few occasions where we can all get together and there's no great investment involved, right? You don't have to be there when the first ball goes up at 10 o'clock and you don't have to be there when the final finishes either. You can just go along whenever you want. You'll bump into somebody, there'll be a friend there, there'll be a neighbour there, there'll be somebody that you might have heard on this podcast, there'll be somebody that um, you haven't seen in a while, maybe since you moved away to wherever you're living, you know? So come along and enjoy that particular day. I'm very much looking forward to it. Two people uh, who won't be there, unfortunately, are Kira Mulligan and AJ Jarawira, who, after many, many years in Stockholm, can't remember exactly how many, they've just moved back to Ireland. They cleared out their apartment there last week. I know a lot of uh, the Stockholm gales were down there, including Anna Rungord and... Uh, uh, Claire was down there as well and everybody went to say goodbye to them last Saturday I couldn't make it because I was working and then we were at meeting us up with and it's always sad to see great people go uh, really, like uh, AJ is from Sri Lanka uh, Kira is from Monaghan uh, Kira's an absolutely brilliant footballer played in an All-Ireland final back in the day and actually when we were down in Brussels years ago playing Gaelic football uh, we were introduced to the great Michal and Murahert the, the RT commentator who wrote the foreword actually to a book that I wrote called The Parish Far From Home which is about the Stockholm Gales you'll find it on the SoundCloud page as an audio book it's there for free for anybody who wants to have a listen 
but we were introducing everybody to Michal and um, you know, so oh, this is this is John Carroll, he's from Dublin, and, and this is Brian Burns, and you know, he's from Dublin, but for some reason wears a cork jersey and just w- refused to grow up. And then we got along the line then, and it, it, like we're just about to introduce Kira to him, and he went, I know who that is, in his inimitable way. This is Kira Mulligan, I've seen her play for County Monaghan. And it was amazing because everybody was just, Jesus, you know, she must have made some impression on somebody like Michal. Now, in fairness to Michal, he probably remembers every footballer and every hurler and every camogie player that ever played together. We were amazed. It was like, okay, she made this much of an impression on the bell with Michal. So, uh, unfortunately now, it's um, Ireland's gain and Sweden's loss. As I said, I haven't had a chance to talk to Kira and to AJ, but they were great members of the community here. I think they have three children now, if I remember rightly, none of which they had when they arrived over here. Uh, so uh, my own sort of personal sadness and the sadness of the community and the Stockholm girls I see them go was one thing but we wish them every success when they get back there to Ireland right enough of this Stockholm centric thing right because there's fellas sitting there up in Moura going Jesus that man never stops talking about Stockholm we're moving outside of Stockholm today boys and girls we're going to have a little bit of a chat with Dave Hanley down below in Karlstad and um as you'll hear from Dave's story, which is a wonderful story of rugby and romance and all sorts of weird things, he sort of bypassed all that thing of, you know, most lads will arrive or most girls will arrive over here and they'll have, say, a job for Ericsson and Cheeseland. They live a couple of years in, in Stockholm or maybe they never get outside of Stockholm. Dave didn't. He made his way, made a beeline straight for Costa when he got over here about 10 or 12 years ago and he's been there ever since. So, uh, yeah, let's have a little word with him about his work in developing the game of rugby here, which wasn't really all that well developed here. He's since moved on. He spent about five, five and a half years developing the sport of rugby, which he'll tell you about. But uh, he's since moved on and he's just got a new job. And sure, that's where the conversation started. A new job. How did that come about? And what is it to begin with? Uh, what is it? I'm not sure myself. <laughs> only one day in it. I only got in there um, yeah, one day. Now back after the summer, the the semester, uh, yeah, and as 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 we say, is is still uh, is still on. I'd say. Ah, uh, look, it's little little company here in Karlstad uh, that just work with kind of uh, organisations that want to change or grow or develop. Started by two two women here twenty five years ago, and they've kind of just kind of gone gone with the flow and changed and grown and not grown and just a good good group of people. So I'm doing a bit of bit of everything in there, um, and yeah, it's fun. I think was it a couple of years ago that you sort of went back to school and uh, you sat just having the bench again, and you started getting into was it CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's I suppose that's. Um, do you know it's something I wanted to do a long time ago um probably like when I was in I was in college ended up with an arts degree <laughs> and on, along the way with the sociology there was bits of psychology and it was always interesting uh probably do you know what I probably wasn't in a good spot myself when I was 19 or 20. Nobody ever is any to, to kind of do no <laughs> and uh yeah probably wasn't ready to dive into it so yeah look I was a bit of, bit of change in life and decided Fake it, give it, give it a shot. So I went back and bit of a background in sport as well. So Guy Hall there in Stockholm have a have a CBT with a focus on sport. Mm. So I got stuck into that. Uh, per- perfectly timed in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, as you do. 
and uh, and did 50 trips to Stockholm in two years from Karlstad, yeah, and got got finished there in in June. So uh, I look it was brilliant, just my own kind of development and and uh, but also exciting to stay involved or kind of get back into sport and at the same time kind of help on the whole mental health side of things, you know. So I can I I bring a bit a bit of that in the day job. Obviously, just just come from work there now. I work with a group of teachers who have a tough have it tough as teachers do, and just kind of helping them help themselves and and help their their environment. Um, so yeah, I love it. <laughs> so GIH for those who wouldn't be familiar with it or GIH as we say in Swedish is Idrottsfall School, and that's where they create sort of the the, the PE teachers of the future, the coaches of the future, the elite athletes of the future. A lot of them will actually train out in these places as well. So it was like it was CBT, but through sports, right? Elite performance—that was the kind of thing that that you were looking at, right? We have to back up the truck and explain a little okay. bit. I've explained a little <laughs> bit about you anyway, but yeah. um, you came to my attention maybe probably ten or twelve years ago now, I'd say, because you were involved in bringing the great sport of rugby to this country, right? Where was rugby when you arrived here? You know, was it fucking still the you know, third world kind of thing? And where is it now that you don't work at rugby anymore? No, no. no. So I was definitely not responsible for bringing it here. Yeah, twelve. I moved here twelve years ago. And um, I think actually the first match was played in Stockholm against was it a British Army ship in in the Jesus I'm going to say the wrong year now the 30s probably um, so it's actually like a lot older than than people think and then I like many other expats rock up and uh, thought I knew something and realised I hadn't no, I hadn't a clue and did my best to just try to grow the game I suppose yeah that was my job what's your, what's your own background in rugby I'm guessing you know with the cork twang there's a bit of monster rugby and you'll tell me about the All Blacks if I give you a chance I won't <laughs> Where, did you play yourself when you were younger that kind of thing yeah, I yeah. Look, I, I grew up um, grew up in a little village outside Cork City called Kerry Pike, and actually growing up, just a nor- normal, normal young fella playing playing GA, and there was a basketball court down in, in the near the community centre, so we played basketball, and there was there was no rugby, um, and then there was rugby. Discovered rugby in school then, and um, yeah, so played rugby a lot in school and, and kind of decent enough level, and then. A few years after that and then not unusually they got a few injuries and, and got into coaching um and then i moved and i played rugby for a few years in in, in dubai and then got back to cork uh did my coaching education through munster and then landed up here kind of a couple of years after that um and there was a like look listen to some of the guests you've had on and stuff there's so 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 many different kind of stories about what you do when you get over here but that was I, I arrived over with the arts degree and with a bit of English teaching as a foreign language I ended up teaching first year in English school like many others as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then got involved teaching coaching one of the, the rugby teams that was the start of it I mean, when you say get involved in coaching one of the rugby teams, were you always, you live in the town of Karlstad, which is in Valmland yeah. there over, when I look at that, it's kind of over towards the Norwegian border kind of thing, you know, so it's one of those places where we try not to venture that far west, you know. You stuck on, you stuck on. Four, this four. is it. And, and like we'll have to admit, right? We're going to break the fourth wall here and tell people that I actually did say to you, Jesus, I have to have somebody from outside of Stockholm on because it'd be going mad, you know. But did you move directly there, or did you move to one of the big cities when you got here? Yeah, look, not another, not an unusual story either. Met met the Swedish woman in Ireland who was into horses. Uh, met her in Cork, and I I just moved back. Uh, my, my my now ex, I, I should add, but it's all it's all amicable. Um, sure. but but we met we met. I I just moved back home. 
from from the few years there in in the Middle East and looking for a place to stay. A friend of mine's mum was renting out a house near the college. Um, so I moved in there and then two weeks later, it's my best mate's mum, she rings me up and she says, there's a Swedish girl looking to, to rent a room. And being my best mate's mum, there was always a bit of banter. I said, there is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, that kind of thing. Yeah? Exactly, yeah. So she says, I'll meet her for a coffee and, and whatever. So long story short, we met for the coffee and a couple of years later, we, we were packing a, 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 an old Volvo uh in cork that i had flown over and driven back to cork and packed up and drove over here she's the exes from here so it was straight to calstead yeah so so you missed all the bright lights of the big city and the old dubliner at normal story you went straight out for that lovely country living that you grew to love growing up in cork there yeah exactly yeah no i i haven't uh that trail to the to the dubliner and all the rest that i haven't uh, i missed i missed all that unfortunately that came later how long did it take you to meet another Irish person there? Is there anybody down there? I tried to think. No, of there's, a, there's, a, there's a few. There's a, luckily enough, it was the summer we moved over. We were in a. There's a it's nice here with the river and everything. It reminds me of Cork, as I say, pure Cork man. You know, what, Cork, what do you like about Cork? Carstead is like Cork. <laughs> It's not as good as Cork, obviously, because no Cork person could say that, but it's like that. In what way? The people are decent, that kind of thing, are they? Yeah, they are. And and the summer we were over, we were we were um ran a boat bus tour around the the river and I saw Pera, what it looked like rugby posts and I said said to the missus at the time said this that's a rugby pitch no no there's no rugby here so long story short there was actually a rugby club here um that, that's around for quite a long time 50 year anniversary in last year the year before and and like any like like a GA club or a rugby club or whatever you rock up and you've mates the first night you know and there was a couple of other lads involved so there's a, there's a few of us here Eric from Limerick's been involved for a long time in the club there and Eamon from Derry and, and a few others were around. So so that summer, like the my ex's family were looking at me like two weeks in, going, Are you going out for beers again? How have you how have you got friends? <laughs> <laughs> We've lived here all our lives. We don't fucking know anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know the neighbors. But it is that thing. Like you see those sort of H-shaped goalposts and you're just attracted to them, you know, like flies around going, Oh, there's gonna be somebody yeah. around here. I know. I was out there one night in Scarpneck, which is a sort of a, a center for rugby and Gaelic football here and Australian rules and everything. And I saw Colm O'Callaghan out there. I hadn't seen Colm in ages. And myself and Colm, he's been kind enough to give me a bit of work over the years and that. And his yeah. children are playing rugby now. And I bumped into him. I hadn't seen him in years. And it is amazing the effect that it has. But aside from, you know, a man from Cork, a man from Limerick, a man from Derry, who else was playing rugby for Carlstad at that point? A few hardy boys, local lads, you know. And they, they kind of had, the, the club here has a kind of the the kind of little bit of the siege mentality, which is appealed to the Munster man in me, you know. Oh, yes. Bit of a chip on our shoulder, love going to Stockholm and trying to... <laughs> trying to pull one over on the big city boys so so there was a few few really good you know three really really good local lads that that um that pulled the, the club through tougher times as well you know hard with a long way to travel small sport all the rest of it you know mm. and then eric and, and a few others involved but but mainly just just good group of lads from from Carlstead involved in it you know so yeah. so good 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 bunch of people I used to do jiu-jitsu with a fella and um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is obviously a martial art. You're trying to, it's basically trying to fold uh, clothes with people still in them as the best description of it, you know. But this fella, Pieter, who used to do it with us and I remember him saying to me, oh, you're Irish, yeah, yeah. No, I used to play rugby and I went, you did, yeah. You know, but no, no, I turned up one day and I played for Hammaby and they put me in there and they said, what am I doing? He said, just knock people over. And, and he <laughs> loved it. He said, oh, I played for years after that, you know, bulldozing oh, over lads, you know. And they said, whatever yeah. you do, just throw the ball backwards. Anyway, okay, yeah. And he 
stuck in there and love being in the middle of the rook and that kind of thing. But is that the kind of thing that, like, you know, I'm I'm always sort of intrigued to discover because when I mention rugby to Swedish people, it's like they shrink away from you going, oh, Jesus, that's mad. But you found enough people in Karlstad, enough Swedish lads in Karlstad to actually who went, yeah, I want some of that. Yeah, yeah, look, there's been, I think they won an SM Silver here in the 80s, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and the girls as well were, were successful at the time back in the 80s. So there was, yeah, but look, the, the, I suppose the thing about the sport here is that it's not really, it's not a natural choice for kids. Hmm. Uh, so then you're always, 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 always struggling for numbers, you know, and at the time there was, look, one of the things I tried to work with was, it was very much a case of like the kids sport was a just a version of, of the adult rugby, but played by kids, which wasn't really the best way to, to get kids involved in the game, you know. And at the time, there was just uh, there was just there was stuff happening even at home as well around the game, just changing rules and changing the setups. So it was just more fun for the kids and, and a bit safer, less contact, younger ages, and not unlike I'd say what what you do in jiu-jitsu and stuff, where it's not it's not full on day one, but it's getting used yeah. to your own body. And so we, we we tried to bring in some of that stuff kind of early enough. And I had a bit of support from the lads at home and in Munster with bringing in some educational stuff. And and at the same time, trying to find that balance between like it isn't, it isn't, you know, it's especially in Stockholm, it's very much an expat game, but it's all, there's also, you know, there's a, there's a long tradition of it and being respectful of, uh, of that at the same time and not thinking that you were coming in and knew, knew better than someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big, that was a big thing for me, just kind of realizing what's, what's good about it and what can we kind of enhance and, mm-hmm. and what are the bits that we can kind of tweak, you know? It's one thing that's just been intriguing me since we said we're going to have this conversation. Who are your local rugby rivals? Who's the derby against down in Karlstad? I think I worked out at some stage we're the club that actually has the longest drive to the nearest club in the country. So I'd well believe it. Yeah, so there's a bit of there's a bit of rivalry towards Stockholm. I think it's the big, big city thing, you know. But Spanish Boy are a good strong club down the other side of Vannon. Okay, Spanish uh, Boy, yeah. Yeah, other brew have 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 had teams on and off, but Vanish Boy would be the nearest one and a good good bunch of people down there as well, you know. But it's not it's not where there's the two strong senior teams going at it for a few years that hasn't that hasn't been the case unfortunately it's a it's a case of very much a case of just year to year always adapting the league structures and it's just trying to get matches you know that's a yeah. small sport just trying to get matches so what would a season look like i'm assuming that you've retired now a la peter stringer you know all the great poems about you have been written and you, you know the paintings are up in the club wall and you know but how many games would a club like Karlstad get and how much yeah. traveling would they have to do and who fucking yeah. pays for it is the other thing i suppose yeah not a lot of games is the is the quick answer i played I played the first season or maybe the first two seasons when I came. I I hung up the boots before I moved over. Even I just gone fully into the coaching back home. I played yeah. tried to play another couple of seasons when I moved back for the Middle East, but the body was the mind was willing, but the body wasn't. Mm. So I'd gone fully into the coaching. But when I came over, I got a bit of an itch again. But geez, I'll never forget the first the first game, the first the first match I went to um, was down in Barros. So it's about three and a half, four hours from here. And then all the lads piled into the minibus. I wasn't going to play, I was just going to watch that day. Just, and I, I, had no, I, I had no idea what the, what the crack was. So there's, there's two schools of thought in the contact situation, right? It, it, one school, which like the Kiwis would, would love, is like it's a game of, um, it's a game of evasion. So mm-hmm. as soon as there's a contact situation, you're trying to move around that. And, kind of, and when the contact comes, like in a kind of a judo uh, analogy where you're trying to use the other weight to, mm-hmm. to yep. the other person's weight to, to to try and get forward at the same time. The other school of thought would say it's a game of collision. 
<laughs> so so we we so when I moved here, there was this old, old really good guy, Terry French French guy, old school, proper old school. Like grew up playing rugby in France. When if one was in, it was all in. It was fist fisty cups, and it was you know hard hard, hard boys. So. And I didn't, I don't know what was what, what the story was. So we, we drove down to Burroughs, three and a half hours, got lost on the way, rock up on the pitch, game kicks off. One side catches this, and this guy starts running with the ball to the other guy. And I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be interesting here. And it was it was like watching two lads playing chicken. <laughs> they just yeah. ran into each other upright and just fell back in their arses, both both of them. And he's looked at it, I thought, Jesus Christ. And you <laughs> went, want to play oh, this. I want some of that. <laughs> No, I didn't. I was a, I was a winger, and I, I did my best to avoid uh, contact. Anyway, the best of times. So, uh, so yeah, that was my first introduction to it. And I played played a couple of seasons. I just had loads of crack with with the lads, you know, that first year or two, and just really got good mates and mm. got. Oh, I suppose the stuff that's good about the rugby, you know, the beer after the game, and uh, just kind of taking care of each other and shaking a hand no matter what's happening on the pitch. And and that was um, so that was that during the season. There was probably maybe eight or ten games if you're lucky. Yeah. And would that be then that you go off maybe, would you have to drive off somewhere on a Saturday morning and you'd leave out so seven o'clock, you get somewhere by lunchtime and then you play your game and then you drive back again? Is that the way it works? That was the way it was. And I didn't, like, I didn't play a whole lot of games with the, the lads. There's lads that, you know, were doing it before I came, did it when I, you know, when I came and they're still at it now. And I don't know how to get the energy for it. I remember one day we went and there was a match in Stockholm and our bus broke down on uh, at Kungens Kurva on the way home. And it was lucky that we had a couple of slabs on the bus. I don't remember much of when we got the replacement bus and the trip home. <laughs> we we got home eventually. That's all I we know. Got, kind of that's all I know. <laughs> but that's that's the hard part of it. We've been really lucky actually during the pandemic now because there's so many of the Irish lads who are listening, hopefully listening to this podcast now. They're working above in Yavla, so we have this like you know two hours up the road. But I don't think we've been up there to play football this year. But it was brilliant. Like last year when they had a tournament, we could drive up the road and then we could be back here again. And you really need, especially in a country as big as this and as hard to get around, because it's like from here to Malmo is like you know it's five hours drive basically. You know with a big concrete boot on you. You know, yeah. so you would have gone to obviously you would have come to Stockholm a lot. Is there does does rugby in Gothenburg? I know because I've seen it. Yeah, there's rugby in Gothenburg. Yeah, and Ian shopping is kind of a bit of a stronghold traditionally. Yeah, it just got got a foothold there in the 60s or 70s, and really, really strong, good facilities. But that's still three hours from you, isn't it? Oh yeah, three hours. Yeah, so three hours to Ian shopping is probably the nearest. Three and a half to Stockholm, three to Gothenburg, two and a half to Venice three to Oslo. Bit of bit of cross border stuff there traditionally, not in the last few years. So yeah, the lads here just have travelled. They're just used to driving, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, who foots the bill for all that? Because renting a bus is not cheap. Do you have a lot of willing sponsors down there in Carlstown when they don't have uh, ice hockey to spend money on? They just go, oh, fucking rugby, let's go. That's it. I think that's probably maybe a little bit of an advantage that we do get a lot of lads who played ice hockey and 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 kind of dropped, you know, finished up as teenagers and like the contact and continue. So yeah, just good sponsors. A lot of hard work by a really dedicated board. Really, yeah. really nice clubhouse. Probably one of the nicest clubhouses in the country that they, you know, rent out and um for events and so on. And then just um yeah, just good. And then lads just dig out for the away trips, you know. Yeah. And how many players would you be bringing? Obviously, you need 15 to play a game of rugby. Would you have like, you know, the, like the Ireland team where you've, you know, 28 lads lined out and coaches and physios and fellas with magnetic boards and no, that kind of thing? No, definitely <laughs> no. not. Definitely not. not, and, not at this, and not at this level, you know. It's it's a long time, unfortunately, since the club here were, were uh, in and about the, the top league, you know. So, and Marcus, he, he, Marcus's dad was involved in the club, local lad. His dad was involved in the club. 
Uh, he's now he played a lot of years. He's now coaching the the lads team, and they're struggling for numbers this year. But it, it just it goes up and down. But it's fellas like Marcus and his dad, and even the other Irish that Eric I mentioned that, that have kept the club um, alive, alive and well. And you know, kid kids section goes up and down, and the girls have a team and don't have a team, and another couple of lads have done a great job there with with, with the girls over the last few years. So yeah, it looked like any club, plenty of heart and plenty of voluntary hours and long nights and fights and arguments and you know plenty of it it, yeah. it really feels like that thing as well that i don't know if you have the same experience there with the rugby but we get some brilliant swedish people into the club and then for some reason after maybe a year or two you know some of the girls get pregnant or some of the lads move up we can't hold on mm. to them do you have mm. the same issue in rugby in general in, in trying to hold on to the swedes there yeah and look again like in it's outside of stockholm it's predominantly if a sport played by swedes yeah. And, then, and then the expats are the minority, you know. Um, so, you know, in my 12 years here, there's definitely been a, a good few that come through the university and move on and a few expats that come in and move on. Definitely. Yeah. And same, same issue, same issue with the girls as well. Other girls, it's it's 90 percent Swedish girls. Yeah. And even even on the lads team, it's probably 90 percent Swedish lads, you know, mm. um, being a... Oh. That was the thing I was sort of looking at, you know, how we can attract more players. And what I was saying about the ice hockey there, you know, Olympic mm-hmm. handball, that season is a winter season. So we should be able to, between ourselves and rugby people like yourself, we should be able to mm-hmm. attract them. But that may be a, a conversation for another day. When mm-hmm. you have Swedish people playing in your in your club there, Dave, do they mm-hmm. have any interest in the Six Nations or the World Cup? Or do they just want to go out and fucking slam into some fella from men's shopping <laughs> and have a pint? Both. <laughs> but both the slam and the point, but not the Six Nations. Kind of and all, all of it, all of it. And all they love it. They get into it, you know. They and do, yeah. Did, yeah, we had a great, we had a really good, we had a really good crack there a few years around World Cup. What would it have been? I just moved over. What was Jesus? Time goes so quick. 2011. Yeah. So we do, you know, we'd go down in the morning, we'd throw on breakfast, and you know, lads could come in and, and have a breakfast and, and maybe a beverage and had a big screen and throw on the match. And, you know, so just, I look, they, they get into it and they support and they'd follow the Six Nations and we throw on matches. And that's just not just here. I mean, in all around the country, in the clubs that would have a clubhouse, there'd be a huge interest in watching watching the games. And over the last few years, since um, since it's been shown on, on Via Play or whatever it is, I think the interest is probably, has probably grown as well. So good good to see. But if you can if you can't grow the... The kids game, you know, that was the kind of the, the drum I was beating and people got fairly sick of hearing me. I'd say if you can't grow the, the kids game and make it an attractive option for them, then there's no adult game, really. And that, that's true for any sport. And if you look at the after I finished with Swedish rugby, I worked with Swedish sport and like the, the general pattern of team sport is that the numbers on on the dip, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of the sport. So uh, if you're already small, you're, you're already vulnerable. So it's a it's a really uphill struggle to to try and grow it, you know. The, the sports that are growing are are the the your your MMAs and your jiu jitsu's, your climbing, canoeing, mm. parkour, the kind of individual stuff. Yeah, oh gee, <laughs> fucking heart is broken with that fucking paddle. And the lads going on the WhatsApp group every week. Oh Jesus, you. you have a friend here. Like, what, <laughs> what, what is it? Fancy <laughs> squash. Fancy oh, yeah, exactly. Squash. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> finagle squash is what I've called it. There you go. <laughs> Listen to me, when, when you you actually had a job with Swedish rugby, is that right? They actually sort of employed you and said, here, find us players, develop this, do something with us. How much of that was flying by the seat of your pants? How much were you paid for that kind of thing? Or was I it just here? Bla- I kissed the Blarney Stone in Cork, you know? And yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then found yourself passed on to some other lad kind of thing. <laughs> uh, look, I, I um, when I was I was working that first year in the English school and then I got a, 
I, I helped out coach in the national under 18 side. And then um, I was really keen. I just really loved the coaching um, back home and had been kind of enjoying the, the coach development work. With Monster what, Rugby what, do you, what do you love so much about it, Dave? I think it's the same even with the CBT. I just I just love the idea of someone just being able to just get a little bit better, have a bit of crack, um, seeing someone develop a player that just comes and is just hungry to learn, you know, and, and I learn loads as well. And just my own development, I'd say, just by being involved in other people's development has been ah, just, you know, brilliant. I mean, I can, there's so many players. I, I was involved in the under 18s national team for, even when I finished working with them, and I have lads there, I'd still be in touch with on Facebook and see there, mm-hmm. you know, one, one of the lads moved to New Zealand, had kids and see him on Facebook sometimes and just drop a message. And, you know, it's just, just the relationships and being able to, to get involved in that feels, um, oh, it was just always something I enjoyed, you know. Um, what, what was the state of rugby when you sort of came in there obviously you managed to talk yourself into a job that didn't exist so i'm guessing that there was a fucking huge need for somebody to start developing rugby as a sport here was there any sort of structure in place or was it just you know six or eight teams we'll see who turns out this year we'll throw together a league kind of thing yeah look there was it was good it was i was lucky timing like everything else you know it was and i was probably saying the right things at the right time and there was change change had just kind of was happening or had happened through at, at home in terms of the way we look at the way kids play. You had Marco Sullivan on a few weeks ago. A lot of the stuff he's digging deeper on now was kind of in its in its infancy in terms of not just doing drills, but having a, a you know a whole game approach to to learning and and just having fun. You know that was something that wasn't going back to the eighties and nineties. That wasn't a part of it. So I was lucky. I suppose I was still kind of riding that wave when I came over here, and then I was saying saying the right things. You know, and obviously there was pressure coming on from from the European Rugby Union and in and World Rugby were looking to change. And so there was, a, I just got involved in a project um, when I was working at the English school. And it was interesting just the way things go. I remember then, I, and I was involved in the 18s, just voluntary coaching, coaching the lads national team. And there was a, there was a bit of money through Swedish sport made available to, to, to look at creating a new education structure for kids coaching. Mm. And I, I went to my principal on the Friday and asked them, look, I can work with this for a year, uh, uh, 50%, um, and I want to keep in the school. I, I loved the teaching, and I was thinking, okay, I'll do the, the one year or whatever I needed to do to get the, the teaching qualification. And he said, yes, so it's brilliant. Went back to rugby, so I can do it half time for the year. And then and then um, I come in on Monday, and the vice principal who sets the, the timetable just said, not up. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> So you're down so then, there with 150% worth of work, basically, yeah? Yeah, so, and at that stage, it was just, um, we had no kids, and, and I just thought, feck it, like, look, this is an opportunity I wouldn't, wouldn't get so quickly at home to work with rugby. Mm-hmm. Uh, very lucky. And I just said to the rugby, can I do it 100% for six months and see what happens? And, um, and then that was my goal during those six months, was just kind of make myself a nuisance that they didn't want to get rid of. <laughs> so I got six months, and we started the work predominantly on just a new development model for for the kids structure and managed to get other bits of funding and in the end it just turned into a job and I was there for I was there for five five years mm. see the gray hairs yeah exactly I had no gray hair <laughs> when I went in there kind of thing what exactly. was the primary focus then Dave was it finding just anybody to play or was it it was on kids was it getting young yeah that was play? yeah look that was my focus obviously there was loads of different other bits going on and lots of politics and and all that kind of stuff. But my, I tried to make my kind of laser focus, just trying to create a clear kind of pathway for kids to get into and stay in the game, both as younger kids, but even later along 
along their journey in sport, you know, and and try and make rugby truly truly great clubs that are out there, kind of a realistic alternative for anyone's son or daughter who who wants to to come down, you know. Hmm. So I think probably the biggest change we made that ho- that hopefully still still is in place. I think it is is we changed the structure fairly drastically for eight year olds to twelve year olds how the game is played. Hmm. Um, so that was that was the big one. As I said earlier, it was like 15 players on a pitch hard at it. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah, just not, not, it was just way out of date. Um, and then I look, I got good advice early on as well, just from just one or two lads in Monster, and then just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Swedish lads here who've been involved in the game so long that really kind of just, I got their trust, which was hugely important. That was the biggest lesson I learned. It was that idea of like, it's not me coming in trying to, to do something. It's more, how do I equip the people who already have the trust uh, and, the, and the reputation within the game to, to grow it themselves? You know, that was kind of, that was the big kind of change for me after a year or two and just some brilliant lads kind of got behind what we were trying to do and, and helped me, help me push it. What's the biggest difference between when you started that job and when you finished? What would you say so the achievements yeah. were? Was it, like, is there, you know, are young lads and young ones playing the game much more now? Is there a much greater number of people? Are they staying longer? What were the, the yeah. metrics there? I'm not, I, like, the game grew definitely. And I was, you know, it, it was on, some clubs were doing great work, you know, anyway, and, and had kind of clicked on to the idea of we need some kind of a, a pathway. But yeah, the game game grew, um, and and particularly this new structure that we put in place, which we call the festival structure. So if you're going down to Scarpneck on a, on a on a Saturday afternoon, and you're seeing loads of games and loads of kids, that was kind of the big change. It used to be like a travelling circus where, you know, ex- Sockham Exiles would have one tournament for the kids in this week, and then next week is down in Trelleborg, and next week it's up in Gothenburg, and it, and it would kind of travel around like it would travel around like that, um, and we we kind of in, put in place a kind of a kind of a local principle and try to grow it locally and regionally and that the younger kids weren't supposed to travel um plen- plenty of resistance to it but i would say that was probably the biggest impact and then that was kind of the that created you know hopefully the conditions for the game to grow more organically than in stockholm region or in gothenburg region or in skona you know yeah. um obviously a bit trickier outside of the big cities but I was, that's what I was going to ask because like, who would your kids now in Karlstad go and play against every week because the thing is that much and all as we love having Yavla just up the road you don't have to play the same lads week in week out you know no no and that's that's the that's the challenge of it you know I mean uh, the kids the kids do from here travel down to the, the festivals in Gothenburg and get involved there and that keeps some of them interested but it's it's tough you know it's, it'll always be a slog I think it'll always be you know, a small sport here, but as long as there's kind of good people uh, involved, then there'll be enough to be to kind of create a little bit of a, a little bit of a community. You know, like everyone else, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? It's just yeah. to kind of to feel I'm a part of something. Um, you know. Well, exactly. And something positive like that, where there's progress and where people I've always, I think we myself and Mark mentioned about being the best version of ourselves and getting the most out of it. But that sense of community is a big thing as well. If I was to ring up Swedish rugby now and ask them to give me a mark out of 10 for what Dave Hanley did in his time there, what do you think they'd say? Depends where you ring. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what day and I'll chance me out. Look, and with change is difficult. I I would say I, I wasn't popular always. Uh, especially no when it, is no exactly um but I was you know I always felt like when I finished up I felt like I was fairly like you said I, I took myself into it and I was I tried to do an honest job in terms of growing the game and I think 
the kind of the right people, I would say the right people knew that my heart was in the right place and they were happy with to, to kind of implement some of the stuff that I put in place. So, and I, I still, the odd time someone gets in touch and just says, ah, oh, come here, I read something you put together back then. Can we have a chat about it or whatever? I'm always, always willing to, to, to chat about it. And always at the same time, humble and humble enough to say that the, the games move on and there's other people who were yeah. doing way better than I did. And, and, and uh, hopefully someone else is, is, uh, is carrying the torch, but there's brilliant, brilliant clubs, brilliant club people, just like, just like back home. I think that's something, that's something I find in Swedish sport that the Swedes don't know about Ireland. Is that they think there's a little bit there's a little bit of a, a this this kind of you know this kind of a little bit of false modesty complex around Swedish sport like it's it's unique in the world in terms of the voluntary hours and all that and it's absolutely fantastic you know we see it every day for playing you know for involved in martial arts or, or soccer or handball or whatever incredible the, the amount of hours parents put in but you know look at the GA. You know, oh, people that's... don't realize, people don't, re- you know, and the Swedes kind of look at me sometimes and I explain, I explain about it, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, okay. They get a little bit disappointed. Like, yeah, like God, it was oh, only us. <laughs> look, I was up in fucking Buda inside the Arctic Circle there during the week. They were playing the Champions League qualifiers against Dinamo Zagreb and they were, give, you know, they were giving it loads of that as well. Do you know, Norway is absolutely unique in the way people volunteer. No, it's fucking not. No, it's We've not. been doing this for hundreds of years. You know, while you were still out skiing in the forest, we were doing this <laughs> with the GA in Hayes Hotel, you know. Exactly. But it is. But, but the other side of that then is that you show them that you're sort of of the same, you're cut, like sort of cut from the same stone, so to speak. Because yeah, you do want to be part of the community. You do realize yeah. the value of sport and giving something yeah. back there. But yeah. what's, what's your relationship to the game today, Dave? Because you mentioned a clubhouse there. Do you still go down there? Do you still go and watch, you know, what the U team or the senior team is playing? Ah, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I do. I I um I was sick of rugby for a while when I finished up. Right. I probably threw a bit bit too much of myself into it, if I'm honest with you. And then went through a separation and I just kind of st- stepped away from the game for, for I, I carried on with the under 18s for another year, I think, sevens, good crack, because that was the bit that kind of gave me energy. <clears throat> and then, um, but yeah, got, got back, uh, just like you said, I love going down and having a beer with the lads, uh, yeah. watching a game, watching the kids, um, help out very occasionally with a coaching session or whatever, and uh, just enjoy, just enjoy being around it. I could just imagine you standing there on the sideline watching a fella go, he's doing that wrong. He's doing it. Give me that fucking whistle. <laughs> like, the, wor- the worst thing, like, that's one thing. The other thing was like getting the urge to play. We had our 50th last, last year and, and someone said, oh, will you not play? I said, ah, fuck it, I will. Oh, gee. I was sore for two weeks after it. <laughs> By the time this comes out, right, in, on the 27th of August, we're playing Gaelic football in Scalpeck and I'll tell you, I'll be there with the boots and no man better question <laughs> my, my sanity going out of that field. There's be no stopping me, you know? Uh, this, the other thing is I have such a hard time of, you know, because it is that thing of you always think that, you know, the team that went before was it, like the team to start the club or whatever. We're the, best, we're the greatest. Nobody will ever match what we did. But it just doesn't go away because we just fucking don't grow up, you know? You no. mentioned an interesting thing there about the club clubhouse right because i've seen this yeah. in rugby and it's something that we need to look at for gaelic games mm. how does that work right so you have a pitch down there now obviously mm. it's carlson so you have a little bit more sort of land there you yeah. have your pitch you have your your rugby goal set up there and you have a little sort of uh, a little place that you can go there and have a beer a little bar in it and that kind of ah, thing it's brilliant we have a little bar we have a little like and this was so it was a little classic red little stuga, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. in bad shape when 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 I rocked up, and then the, the board that was in place there and the board over the last few years just oh, amazing job, just fundraising and just like the year home, just fundraising, and then 
I don't know how they do it, but talking the commune into, into co-financing it. And I think we've a 99 year lease or something like that. And we got the, we got the thumbs up to, to, um, to fit it out basically. So there's, you know, there's a carpenter and there's a painter and decorator there's an engineer. So the lads just kind of stuck their heads together, <clears throat> done a brilliant job. So on a, on a, on a Saturday, like it's, we have a lovely, nice little, um, nice little terrace overlooking mm. Clare Elvin, beer Jesus. in the hand, barbecues going, just brilliant place to be, you know. A few and tunes. Elvin? We've got we've got a nice little tradition of uh, the, the 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 Irish tunes down here as well. Paddy Power and Dublin Fair, randomly in the middle of Ireland. Tradition of just Irish music. <laughs> That's amazing altogether. So, yeah. Is pa- Paddy is down? I'll have to do that to be a live podcast on now down there now at some point, you know. But how does have it- something? Oh, 100%. I actually, I passed through there. I had to go to Oslo there just because I was doing something with the Norwegian women's team before the Euros. And I didn't yeah. want to fly because Ireland, was a shit show. I'll get to that and some other date as well, you know. But I, so I got the bus to Christina Hamm, which is just before yeah. you there. And then I got on the bus then and drove over. And it was like, it's one of those things, I'm, I must sort of come down here, you know, because it is like, it's a beautiful spot that you're in. That is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But how does it work with, with licensing then, Dave? Because I've seen a few places that have a bar. And I know that Kieran Blake was on. He has a, a microbrewery there in Strengna somewhere. And, you know, they have to, it has to be members. Is that how it works with you as well? That everybody yeah. has to be a member? Exactly. Members. So uh, I don't know where the, the supply comes from. <laughs> they just keep showing up. Like people just keep, just keep showing up. The club. Yeah, yeah. The latest thing that was the, is the Guinness with the, uh, what is it? What is it? The, you have to, the nitro storage thing. That's it? it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's down there a few, a couple of weeks ago, a few tunes with the lads and a few pints of Guinness. <laughs> That's you see, this is, I mean, what more would you want? You know, that's the <laughs> And tell me, do you charge people through the nose for that thing, or is it sort of you know how much would a beer cost you now? I think the down the club you can grab a beer for I think for 40 krona. That's pretty decent, otherwise. For, for a Marius for a Marius for a Marius Dodd. A Marius Dodd, local beer. Yeah. And is it mostly there's no draft or anything else like that? You don't bother no. any of that crack. No, no I think oh. that's different rules or regulations. Or there's probably some it's been sweet and there's some red tape around that. Ah, oh, but Jay's the hassle of it as well with fridges and co- uh, carbon dioxide no. and all sorts of things. So just save it out of the fridge. Like, and like, would you be open sort of regularly even on non match days kind of thing? No, 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 no. I think the, the clubhouse can be rented out. Otherwise, it's uh, match, match days. But there's, function, there's fun- functions there. So, look, every, everyone that's come through the club has had a, a birthday or a work do or a, something something or other down there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, really nice place. And as I said, there's the dad's just in a new place, built this like, little stage area. And and there's all, you know, on a bigger day, we'd have a band down once or twice in the summer. And Jesus, so good, good crack. We, we've been there. We played a couple of uh, tournaments down in Gothenburg. And I, I know one of them was played at a rugby club down there. I can't remember which one. You know, it was a great old venue altogether with a little clubhouse on the side. And as I say, that's that's the dream. Jays, if you could find anywhere in Stockholm, you could do that and have your little pitch and your few bits and pieces, you know? Yeah. Um, about how many people would you have playing there now? Like in terms of kids and adults, you'd, you'd have a senior team. Would you have yeah. a senior women's team as well? Do you? There has been. There's the bones of it. It's like it's between the Seb play sevens or playing, playing 15 mm. aside. Uh, look, we probably have well over a hundred members, um, well over a hundred members, and playing members kind of varies. Probably between, geez, the lads would know better than me now, but I'd say it's oh, it's probably it's probably forty lads in the in the playing group Facebook group for the for the lads team, and probably probably as many girls, and then there's kids, you know, it goes up and down. But Hamish, the lad, uh, actually moved from Stockholm, Kiwi lad, and another couple have done a great job with the kids there uh there's probably 20 or 30 kids you know and how's the relationship then the international english school is still in town i believe yeah 
Yeah. So do you have any sort of a formal thing with them where you go, look at this is a sport that we do, you know, because it's not, it's often not English speaking kids who go to these schools, but once you get them into that environment, I'm thinking it's like boiling the frog. You can just sort of grab them and go, right, come over here a little bit, you know, is there any of that goes on with the school? No, no, no. You're missing a trick, Dave, Jesus. Bits, <laughs> bits and pieces through the years, but there was nothing, nothing really came of it. Do you know, it's hard. Like if you look into, if you look into your own kids or my kids and I see, you know, we all know this from having kids involved in sport. It always like if the buddy is playing, if if the if my friend from my class is playing, then I'll I'll tag along. It doesn't matter what it is, maybe orienteering or it could be fucking twiddly tiddlywinks. Yeah. So so un, until you kind of build up the critical mass, it doesn't really matter how many times you go out and show the sport in school or how many you can do loads of stuff, come down and try it out. But it is really when you when you establish a little bit of a domino effect there with one friend and two friends and all of a sudden that's a group of friends and another group of friends and all of a sudden that's kind of how you how you so, can grow so what it, you're know? saying is that basically you spent five years going around for Swedish rugby looking for the most popular kid and go will you join me team is that how it's, that works it's not it's not a bad strategy <laughs> it's not a bad strategy it's one of those things. We've actually been talking about it recently there. Um, at the recent Midnight Sluppets, which is a 10K race through the centre of Stockholm. And we yeah. came together uh, with sort of soccer clubs and basketball clubs. And that. I'm always talking yeah. to these basketball clubs in particular and handball clubs and saying, yeah. look, we can we can help your kids during the summer. Is that something yeah. that you've seen? Like, you know, yeah. the people who, you know, A, transferable skills, but B, that they're looking for something to do during the summer. And that that's a gap that our sports might be able to fill. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, like we're joking about it, but like if you look what influencers do, that's what they do. You know, they say, yeah. oh, look at me, this, I'm using this product or that product. And there's something, you know, we're joking about it, but there is something about getting the, the kid who's got mates and, and, uh, and wants to go down to come along. And we absolutely, you know, there's handball players would have strong enough handball here and hockey players and bandy mm-hmm. players would have come down and played. So that was always something. Look, this can be your, this can be your summer sport kind of thing. And then Venice Borg, I know that bandy is big down there um Huge, yeah. and, and the bandy players a lot of a lot of the rugby players are bandy players a lot bandy, of yeah. the lads and girls a lot of the lads and girls would have and the bandy arena is right next to the rugby club so they've had really easy kind of forward and back between bandy and and rugby over the years yeah in terms of the irish community down there in carlstow you mentioned eric and there's a couple of other people hanging around do you ever sort of do anything together do you ever say right you know it's friday evening i'm going to go and have a few pints again in some local place not the rugby club now but i might meet up with these people or do you kind of keep to yourselves yeah look myself and eric and eamon would be mates so we try and see each other when we can and then mags i worked with her the first year she's from mayo and there's another couple i'd know the name of but i've actually never met um we'd see each other just as mates, you know, and we did a lot that first year. And then just obviously Paddy's day down here, everyone crawls out of the woodwork, you know, yeah. but, um, but not, nothing, nothing formal. And that, that's been, in, I remember when I moved to the Middle East first, you know, it was like, I want to experience the culture or whatever, and maybe not hang around with Irish people. And then there's just, there's just something happens and you're like, fuck, it's nice, nice to have a few people who just get you, you know, and ah, that's, yeah. that's what it feels like when we, with Eric and Eamon here as well as particularly, Eric's from Limerick and we, you know, have the crack and, and just been able to sit down and have a couple of beers. It feels a little bit like when you go home, you know, like even if I'm, I'm happy out here, but going home sometimes I describe as like putting on, do you know, that the jacket and the wardrobe that fits you really snug, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> and, go, and going home, it's just like putting on that jacket. It's like, oh, geez, that's the one. And, and you know and what? <laughs> you don't have to wear that jacket every day. Once that's in a while it. it'll do, won't it? Yeah, it keeps you going for a while, you know? Yeah. And it's the same, same just with, with, with obviously chatting with, with good people, good Irish people, it's a similar similarish feeling. There's just a little bit of a little bit of a fuzzy feeling in the belly, like ah, this is nice. I can just relax that little bit more, maybe. 
Well, I think it's that thing as well that there's so many things that we have that we share, you know, whether it be knowing what Live Line is or, or the Late Late Toy <laughs> Show or Tato Crisps or whatever. And I, like I said, <laughs> that we went out for a few drinks there before Christmas, lads that maybe wouldn't see each other from one end of the year to the other. And yeah. you sat there laughing your face off. And like, that's fine then. And we'll do it probably <laughs> after the Gaelic football tournament. Now. We haven't yeah. done it since then, but we'll all yeah. get together now when there's a bit of Gaelic football to be played. And that. Yeah. So do you see, I mean, you mentioned that you're, you're separated now and the, the mm. things are very amicable and that, but do you see yourself staying in Carlstown now? Because I think uh, one of your kids only recently started school. Is that right? Uh, they've not. They're, they're 10 and 8. They're 10 and 8. So, so yeah. Bit, yeah. Yeah. Look, um, good question. If you separated six years ago and I look, have no problem, I'm, I'm open about it. I think it's probably nice to talk about it as well. Just felt plenty of other lads in the same position. Not, not an yeah. uncommon story, you know. So, so for me, that first year was very much, I kind of made a decision, uh, you know, we, we also meet people sometimes, I think both you and I and others probably listening that aren't so happy here and haven't been for quite a long time. Yeah. So, so and I had a few people like that, not, not here, but had met in me travels to rugby clubs and whatever. So for me, I, I kind of tried to make a decision that first year that if I'm going to stay, I have to be, I have to find my reasons to stay, not just yeah. because I want to be next to my kids. Yeah. Um, so I kind of worked hard at that. Um, and that first year also kind of let the thoughts about is moving home an option to come as well mm. to, to, to consider it. So I, I had considered it. So I didn't, wouldn't look back a couple of years later and think, Jesus, I should have moved home or whatever. I remember having an appointment with my dad that summer. First summer, we, we, we separated with a two year old and a four year old going through Oslo Airport in a, in a double buggy, loading them onto a plane, feeding them with, a, with sweets on the plane. And- thinking it's Christmas uh, and then landing into Cork uh, and then one night they were asleep going down for a point with, with my old fella like and it was hard for him to say and he says look you, you know moving home is an option don't you yeah. even you know he says like, you, know, you know I love the kids as well but you know moving home is an option yeah. and I says oh thanks daddy no, I, I know that you know so but that was the kind of year throughout that year I kind of made the decision that not look I need to find my own reasons to hang around and I think that's probably where the idea around eventually going back to study and stuff started to germinate as well and mm. so so look, I, I don't know the answer, Philip. There's a part of me thinks has a little bit of a romantic picture of the a little cottage looking out in the West Cork, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm away so long that Ireland's changed so much, you know, and I look at it sometimes and I listen to the radio nearly every day and uh, kind of makes me angry as well, you know. And we have, oh, I, 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 I yeah, and I, you know, I listen to you on the radio at home as well sometimes and, I, you know. And I think we have it so good here. And I, I, I think I'd, I'd have a hard time adjusting back home, to be honest with you. Ah, oh, but one of those things, like, I, I go nuts over the smallest things. A friend of mine who works for her, she's the editor of the Irish Examiner, and her father was on, he was admitted to hospital, but it took 48 hours just to get him on a trolley and that kind of thing. I just I just don't have the patience mm. for it, Dave. And m- no. maybe this country will go the same way. Who's to say? Maybe. Like, you know? Could be but, going that way. Yeah, well, you never know. There's an election coming mm. up. But if you don't mind me asking, in yeah. that moment when you decided to separate, right? Mm. You mentioned it was very amicable after yeah. that. Was was there a lot of anger at that time? And because I've, you know, we've all been there. We think, Jesus, you know, luckily she hasn't kicked me out yet. I freaking don't know how, <laughs> you know. But we've all been in that situation. We think, well, how on earth would I start again? How difficult yeah. was it to sort of to to, yeah. to go your separate ways? Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, look, we and we did the whole couples therapy thing and all the rest of it, you know. So it was even amicable towards the end, and the anger, I suppose, got got channeled through through the therapy chats and everything else. But obviously, in my own, on my own kind of in my own time, there was kind of anger and sad and and everything all all wrapped into one. But at the same time, you look over and there's there's a two year old and a four year old there, and it's just every second week, and it's like just get stuck in, just fucking yeah. truck truck on. I think that's the good the good. It can be. 
there's two sides of the coin, but the Irish thing about, you know, just just fucking roll the sleeves up now. Mm. You know, and that's that's what I did in terms of it, once once you have kids, it's not about you anymore. It reminds me of that Mike Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan till you get punched in the face. And doesn't matter, you just you just gotta fucking live with it now, you know. That was it. And it was no feeling sorry for myself. It was like these two, and let's let's you know, and we kind of joked around after a year or two, and I was like, that's the three musketeers now, you know, and we just we just we rocked on, on that kind of team, you know. Yeah, yes, and there was there was never any sort of you know you hear of some couples who sort of fight over money and that one person doesn't contribute enough and that kind of thing. you were able to yeah. sort of negotiate all that without falling out with one another, were you? Yeah, look, it went well, and I was I was of the impression I was of the opinion at the time that the house we lived in um, was a lovely spot, and I didn't really give a shit about anything as long as the kids got to stay living there because they loved mm-hmm. it. Um, so so it went well. And um, and we've a we've a, we've a good relationship today. But kind of we don't touch wood. You know, I see others that don't have it easy. We've got a really good relationship, and you know, same values when it comes to the kids and all the rest of it. So we just it was just a part of it ways, you know. But it wasn't easy, obviously at the time. It was very difficult. But uh, but um, yeah. And do you find yourself knocking around on Swedish Tinder, or are you got I'll leave that for a little while? There was absolutely there was there was Tinder and there was dating and all the rest. And then and then uh, and then I kind of got to the point where. Um, I was like, Jesus, I have it good with the kids, you know? So I kind of went into some kind of a little bit of a, I have it good, don't fall into the trap of ending up with <laughs> another kid or a, or a bonus family straight away. Um, yeah. So I really just took my time and just slowed things down there, you know? I was able to date and whatever, have the crack, but there was no, there was no, I only, I'm on recently got into a relationship, but it's only a, not even a year old. So she's a world exclusive years. on the Irish and Sweden podcast, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Handley, Handley is off the market again. Delete the Tinder. Delete the Tinder. Congratulations. I, I'm glad you're pleased. I suppose that gives you another reason maybe to stay around Carlstad. Is there a person from Carlstad then? Yeah. Actually, he's not so far away. Yeah. So, and just nice, nice little, you know, on the team of bonus family. And she's their own kids. And just we were both kind of agreed day one. Like, okay, they haven't chosen they haven't chosen us. They haven't chosen our relationship. We have. So, so just take it slowly and no plans to be moving in together with what would be four kids. Rather, you know, she's done a good job with hers and me, mine, and hopefully. And uh, and we have we have a bit of crack together on the time we have, you know. Jeez, imagine a rugby team you could create with four kids. Come here, <laughs> This this whole thing, I'm fascinated now that I have you here, don't want to let you go, right? But uh, the whole idea of going back and studying CBT, and you mentioned there, it was in the course mm. of breakup that you started thinking, right, well, if I'm going to reconsider this thing, well, then I should probably reconsider everything. Cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy is one of those <laughs> things that is sometimes presented as like, you know, the answer to absolutely everything. If you yeah, just change yeah, the way yeah, you do yeah, things, yeah. you get different results. And, yeah. But in practice, you know, yeah. who is it useful for, Dave? Is it, yeah. you know, is it worth looking into if you want to change the way you feel about yourself or the habits that you have or how should one go about finding out about it if it might be useful to us uh definitely um definitely and look as you said it sometimes it's presented as a solution a solution for every everybody and talking about podcasts if you different if you listen to blind boy then uh he, he beats that drum weekly oh look at lovely fellow for <laughs> holy jesus yeah. <laughs> so but look yeah it, it is it is um probably in terms of the evidence base I mean, the NHS brought it in on board early enough in England because it was found to be really good evidence on stuff like uh, social phobia, depression. You're kind of most common stuff that that unfortunately the numbers just keep going going up. And if you're looking absolutely also the, the classic stuff you associate with it, phobias or giving something up, it can be helpful as well. It's developed a bit like what we would they would call the third wave, which is a bit more 
before it would be like doing a bit of judo with your thoughts and replacing them with different ones and all that whereas the more modern approach is to kind of to try and be a bit more accepting of what's going on up here and then kind of decide a bit more action based decide where you're going what's important in life and then kind of planning planning a, a course based on that you know so so definitely wouldn't wouldn't um would recommend it obviously i'm i'm, I'm biased but would recommend it to anyone i actually sent a message i, I help a few few um kids at the the local Idrots gym you know sort of sports high school um uh obviously with their with their stuff and i had had have a couple now over a year and a half and i text one of them i said look what what would you like because i'm going to be meeting the first years in a few weeks time i said what would you like to have learned as a first year as younger that you've learned through through our chats or whatever and she said that you don't have to be it doesn't have to get tough before you reach out for help you know and i think mm. that's a nice nice little message yeah. I think that's great for young people. I think it's also great for anybody. You know, I'm thinking back to when you moved here and when I moved here and you go, okay, like if, if I give up now, I'm weak. If I go back to West yeah. Cork or if I go back to Dublin, I'm weak. No, I have to keep going and I have to keep going yeah. at any cost. And that's the yeah. thing you don't, right? Nah. Yeah, and I mean, A, you might nah. have to keep going, but you can always ask somebody for help around it and that kind of thing. And this thing of, you know, yeah. keeping it to ourselves, especially men, and I've been fucking saying this for Jesus. years, you know, that yeah. we can't talk about these things. In terms of practical things though, Dave, if mm. I was to say to you, right, I'm trying to think of something I'm afraid of that's actually relevant to anything, right? But um, yeah. strange dogs, not a big fan of strange dogs, right? Yeah. Um, it, like, is, is CBT the kind of thing where they'll give you a list of things or is it important to be in the moment and say, okay, what's making me feel like this? Or, you know, because with a lot of jobs like what you're doing now, with, or with, sorry, the studies that you did with CBT, like if you want to be a counselor, well, then you have mm. to go through a certain amount of counseling yourself. If you want to be yeah. a psychotherapist, you've got to sit there. Did, did yeah. you have to look at all the things that you didn't like about yourself, you wanted to change about yourself and apply this to them as some sort of proof for concept then yeah look we had to go both in supervision and own therapy and cbt counselor where i'm at now is actually the first it's a it's a standalone uh, qualification in itself here but it's also the the basis for doing two more years and being becoming a psychotherapist so in order for me to to do the next two years which i want to do i have to do a certain amount of my own therapy as well so yeah i looked at the scary dog is, is the classic one you know where mm. i'll employ a strategy to avoid the dog which helps me in the short term avoid the dog but it doesn't help me long term to to get rid of my fear of it you know mm. so it's about slowly exposing myself to the to the dog and then meeting the fear and realizing it wasn't so bad after all and kind of riding the, the wave of anxiety <laughs> during it yeah Seems to me that as I was just thinking about we mentioned the election there and politics and that and there's so much fear around about pretty much everything. And it's one of those things that, you know, in the Swedish expression, lost when you're locked into something like that, it's very hard to get out of. So certainly worth considering. Listen, before sure. I let you go, right? Um, how much could CBT help the Swedish rugby team get to a World Cup? Is that ever going to happen? <laughs> It'd be a lot of, that's a lot of hours. <laughs> <laughs> is that for the first 15? All this, oh no, Jesus, that'll uh, take forever. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> would you ever see a situation where because the, the unfortunate thing really about rugby is that you know you're sort of locked into you know you have the six nations and then you have the three big southern hemisphere nations argentina making a break some of the pacific islands what's what's the future i suppose for the game in in scandinavia and sweden you know is it just to be a sort of a sport happily played by a minority or is there something bigger than that out there for rugby Gee, you could do another podcast on that one in both in terms of the global game and the local game you know the global game is like a little version of you know the the old the colonial aspect of it is starting to break up finally and yeah, there's yeah. a bit of fresh air coming in you know um but i would say look there's potential definitely like i thought it then and i still think it now there's definitely potential and i think 
particularly in the women's game. Um, it was incredibly athletic, you know, Swedish girls and high participation rates in, in younger years compared to other countries. So there's a little bit of a head start there. Swedish girls do well. There's a good, you know, there's good stuff in place at the moment as well. I know that. So I think the game can continue to grow here as long as there's still good people involved in it. I was having a conversation with somebody last night because the Australian rules team and the Gaelic football teams were training at the same time and they all came together and one of the lads was saying that if you could just get one or two of the Swedish girls that they had to play they were absolutely brilliant apparently you know yeah, yeah. Um, is it the case that we'll be seeing you still down at the clubhouse on a Friday evening in 20 years time in Karlstad or will you ever be back in West Cork if you can convince oh, this new it might be an idea there's the question 20 years time what am I what am I the 60 I'd say I, I that year I'll be having a point in the clubhouse. Whether I'm living here or not, I don't know. <laughs> That's it, sitting on the fence. I was ready to go. Well, an answer like that, you could be the fucking ambassador here. That was so diplomatic. <laughs> Dave Hanley, it's been fascinating talking to you. And I'll tell you what, the next time we talk is going to be in that clubhouse down there. You can bring Eric along. I'll hold and you to that. Musicians as well. <laughs> Good man. Thanks very much. That, Philip. Thanks for the chat. Appreciate it. Bye. Joey Carberry kicks the ball out. And Ireland have beaten the incredible what a performance what energy they brought this week this may well be the best of the bunch ireland's fourth ever win over new zealand there you go there magnificent sounds from uh, just back in july i think it was the 9th of july there andrew porter scoring two tries as Ireland beat the All Blacks in New Zealand for the first time in their history. Uh, absolutely incredible stuff from rugby. Uh, great talking to Dave there. It's a fascinating sport and it's, you know, in one way it's a, it's, there's a huge difference between rugby and the GEA and in another, you know, the challenges that we sort of face are all the same, are not the same, but they're very, very similar. So uh, great to hear that the sport of, uh, of rugby is still going so well down there in Karlstad. And indeed, you know, maybe later on or early next season we'll have a chat with uh, a few of the Stockholm exiles up here because, uh, as I mentioned there I bumped into them on many occasions and Alan Mabon at the Stockholm Exiles Rugby Club here has always been very good to the Irish community here uh, helped us out a lot when it came to us moving to Scarpneck and getting Gaelic football in there so there's definitely synergies as they say in the business world it's a word you'll see an awful lot on LinkedIn you know synergies that's what we're looking for you know brilliant now uh, another bit of business is the travel business the airline business and uh, I know I've been saying, look at book your flights with SAS lads. We kind of needed to be there. They need the business. But there's two things that have been going wrong. One, and it's not fucking SAS's fault. Uh, I've been in touch with a few people this week. Uh, I saw Trassa Devander was on LinkedIn uh, there this morning as I'm recording this. Uh, and she noted that she, I think she was over in Ireland that our bags went missing for like three days or whatever. And then the bell Brian Friel, one of the best banjo players, not just in Sweden, not just in Ireland, one of the best banjo players in the world, right? Won the flag many times. Brilliant banjo player, often plays with Lockie and the various musicians around the place. Fantastic guy from County Kerry. I'll hopefully talk to him at some point because like the last count, I think, I saw his bags were on the run for 18 days right 18 days his bags were missing for so i'd hope to get brian on to talk about that because uh, that was from dublin airport they just disappeared completely i don't know how himself and karina and the kids survived without their stuff you know but what i did see this morning as i'm uh, recording this was that sas have cancelled 1700 flights uh, in september and october right so if you've booked a flight 
and you may not have heard anything, especially if you book through a travel agent or some online thing, right? Um, I always go through SAS's own website because that way you control things directly with them and there's no chance of the ball falling between stools. But if you have booked a flight, go and check with them to see that the flight is still going, right? Now, SAS, needless to say, are blaming the fact that there was a pilot strike there or a, a, a crew strike during the summer. Going, oh yeah, now they're all taking their holidays and that kind of thing. This was going on beforehand. If you remember back to Sport Lovitz, which is the midterm break in around about the end of February here, they were doing this already. They were cancelling flights and going, yeah, just shuffle people off there and get them onto other flights when they weren't fully booked out. So I take it with a massive pinch of salt, but there are disruptions coming, boys and girls, uh, in September and October. Now, all I would say is that, you know, around about December time, which is Christmas time, when everybody, every single person in Sweden of Irish extraction will be wanting to be getting home, I'd say those planes would be full, so there'd be no reason to cancel them, right? Because, you know, they're not going to send you via Frankfurt or via Amsterdam, they just want to get you over there with as little effort as possible, right? So uh, I'd say those will probably be all right, but you don't know. And I'll continue to try to get somebody from the airport, Arlanda, I'm just, I'm fucking at the end of me tether with them. I booked parking with them the other day. And I drove into the parking garage uh, beside it because I was so fucking stressed about getting up to the airport in time. And they charged me twice. And they were going, oh yeah, no, it, uh, the system reads off the reg plate. But not to the extent where it reads off the reg plate and go, hey man, you're in the wrong garage and we're going to charge you twice here. No, it wouldn't fucking do that. So yeah, I'll get in touch with somebody from uh, Orlando or from Swedavia or whatever, or from SAS and try to get the lowdown on them because, so that you know what you can feel safe booking, what's the best thing to do, and also what sort of rights you have as a consumer there because, like, you know, Jesus, the last thing you want is your midterm break if you have children or your trip home at Christmas uh, being messed up by these lads. So we'll keep an eye on the situation anyway. Uh, if I can get Brian, hopefully Brian is a, he's Papa Lady, he's at home on paternity leave at the moment, so I'll try and grab him for next week's podcast because I'd say that'd be a scream altogether, living without your suitcase for 18, for 18 days. And Brian's a lovely fella, but he's about as much patience as myself when it comes to these things. Uh, so we'll see what we get out of him. Uh, well, that's about it for this. Oh no, that's not it. There's one more thing to tell you because Sophie Murphy will hit me over the head with something large, heavy and hard if I don't tell you about this, right? Uh, every year, for those of you who don't know, and this has been going on for years, and it's a kind of a... Uh, a bit of a weird one, but there's an annual crab lunch that happens every year, right? And this year it's going to be on the 4th of September, 4th of September 2022, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's going to be held at Texas Longhorn in Gamlastan. Now, Texas Longhorn is a sort of a chain of uh, usually steak restaurants, as you can probably tell by the name, right? And there's a lot of Irish ownership, a lot of Irish interest in the ones that are in Stockholm. So uh, send me a message and I'll tell you which ones are worthy of your support. I know Tony is still there, Tony Griffin, and I think. Carl Stein might have a few bob and one of them and that, you know, but lovely lads uh, running these uh, chained restaurants, steak restaurants, and they're going to put on the crab lunch, the crab lunch, and it's like, I think it's 300 crowns. I'm not going to say it's all the crab you can eat, but by Jesus, there's plenty of it for that money, and uh, it's a very popular event um, amongst old and young alike, so if you haven't eaten crab meat before, I always recommend that anybody coming to Scandinavia, right, even if you don't, if, even if you say you don't like fish, eat the fish, lads, give it a go, right? I was above in Norway there, just inside the Arctic Circle, as I mentioned, and uh, it'll just give me any kind of fish there. Let me see what it's at because it's usually very, very good. But I think this crab is actually imported from Ireland. So uh, well done to all involved there. There's a limited number of places. So get in there now. The Swedish Irish Society, you'll find them on Facebook, you'll find them on Instagram and that kind of thing. And you'll be able to book your spot through them. I think you pay in advance. And you know what? If you don't want to eat crab, nobody's going to make you. You can go there and you can have a burger, you can have a say, you can do whatever you want. Sure, aren't you a grown adult? But uh, you'll have to go there and you don't have to pay for, for the crab lunch, but you can go and eat something else and uh, hang out with people. 
So, yeah, that, now, now I'm willing to say that's about it. But if you can find your boots, or if you can find your O'Neill's top, pre- preferably not a mead jersey, if, if that's at all possible, um, come down to uh, the Gaelic football ground next week at Scarpnex EP. It's over on the south side of town. We'll be thrown up the ball at 10 o'clock. I'd imagine people from the Gales will be there from about half eight, and I'll be there myself tying up posts and loafing around and trying to pull the L boots on, see if I can stick one in the back of the net again. You know, it's never too old for playing this game. And sure, hopefully I'll see you then. And if I don't see you then, I will be on my travel soon enough. I've been talking to Neil Costigan about uh, getting up to Lulio and that kind of thing. So, uh, but we'll see how those plans pan out and we'll try and do a few bits and pieces in the autumn. But in the meantime, sure, look after yourselves and look after one another. And sure, if there's anything you need, you know where to find me. And we'll leave it at that and I'll be back again next week. Good luck. <laughs>